0: You're listening to Comedy Central. Bakari Sellers, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's an awesome opportunity.
0: I like how your beard has come in. It's a, it's a very majestic, professorial... You've, you've got, like, a, like, the full corona beard going on.
1: This is Denzel-ish. That's what I like to call it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, let's, let's jump straight into talking about your book, which unfortunately feels more timely than ever. You've written a story that is a memoir of your life, but in many ways it feels like it's also the story of America as well. My Vanishing Country. Tell, tell me what the title of the book me- means and if you really feel that way about America.
1: Well, sure, I mean, I, my life has been bookend by tragedy. I, I say that with a heavy heart. Um, from the Orangeburg massacre and my father being shot in 1968 to the Charleston massacre. Um, and throughout the book we, we talk about different um, uh, different traumas and different heartaches and different systems of oppression that people of color have to live through, that I have lived through. And so now with coronavirus and it, it ripping the Band-Aid off the healthcare disparities we have, I'm able to parallel that with growing up in a community where we don't have clean water, where we don't have a hospital, where we live in a food desert. And then you layer that with uh, the, the sad case of Aubrey. Um And you just talk about the, the perpetual trauma that people of color, particularly black men, have to live through. And so My Vanishing Country, it means a few things. We give the word country some meaning, being a, a boy from the dirt roads of the South. But even more importantly, those those truths that we that we hold to be um, something that all Americans can realize seem to be fleeting, especially for poor people, immigrants, and people of color in this country. Yeah
0: you would think that people would just go, yes, this is America's history, and these are some of the effects, the systemic problems that still affect black people today. And yet it seems like people disagree on it more than ever. If somebody is saying to you in good faith, really, hey, Bakari, I don't understand why black people seem to think things are bad in America when they've gotten so much better. How do you respond to that person if indeed genuinely they don't see it and they're trying to see it?
1: Well, this is a, first of all, this is probably the most difficult conversation that this country has to have. It's a conversation of race. And, and take, for example, the Ahmad Arbery case. Um, this is not a Trump-era phenomenon. Um, this is not something that just started to happen with the racism that emanates from the White House. Instead, I think about Medgar Evers. I think about Emmett Till. I think about Jimmy Lee Jackson. I think about the four little girls in, in, the, in, the, in the Birmingham church. Um, And so when when you think about the totality of these circumstances, you realize um, that we've made a lot of progress, but we still haven't, we still haven't reached that quote unquote mountaintop. We have not made it there. One of the funny things that people like to bring up is, oh my God, we had Barack Obama elected president, you guys have made it. And that's not the case. When you talk about these layers, I'm not concerned about somebody calling me nigger, I'm not. I'm more concerned about the systemic um, uh, levels of oppression that people of color live in today a, a broken healthcare system, uh, a, a broken environmental justice system, a broken criminal justice system, a broken mm-hmm. educational uh, justice system. Because in this country, you're punished because of the zip code you're born into, and all of these pressures um, uh, just just they they just rest on you and they build your anxiety. And now we have Corona, and now we have these never ending traumas. It seems like you're just trying to breathe sometimes.
0: What What do you think it says about America that so many people? used the video of Ahmed Arbery um, in that empty house, the house that was being constructed as a justification for his death, or his killing, rather, I should say.
1: Ahmad Arbery did something that people do all the time. Hell, me and my wife do it. He, he walked into a, a empty home. He, he was looking around an empty home. That's not a crime that, that requires the death penalty, but even more importantly, those, those two men who were on that good old-fashioned um, South Georgia father-son lynching, they looked at him as less than human. And that's that's the the hard part for me in raising twins Um, in raising a 14 year old daughter. And I have 16 month old twins um, teaching them that they can be a doctor, that they can be a lawyer, that they can be the host of The Daily Show. But also telling them one day that, you know, they they have to be cautious about the way they interact because there's a segment of this of this public that doesn't believe that they're human and doesn't want to give them dignity.
0: And that's something that I I was intrigued to read and and understand from your point of view, because I wondered, how do you talk to your kids and say to them, you can be anything you wanna be. You do have these opportunities, but at the same time, there are certain things that are gonna hold you back and there are gonna be certain things to be afraid of. Like, which, which, which path do you take as a parent? Do you, you know, do you say to your kids, hey, if you see the police, try and be as calm as possible, try not to engage, try not to like, which talk do you have with them? Cause some people go like, you know, your rights, you fight for your rights. Others say like, Hey man, now's not the time. Now's not the time to fight about your rights. Which, which attitude have you taken as a parent? Uh,
1: I mean, I, I, I come from, and one of the, one of the themes that I talk about in the book is I'm a child of the civil rights movement. My father was a member of SNCC. Um, he was shot February 8th, 1968 by law enforcement, protesting in the Orangeburg massacre. and so. My father always taught us growing up, I think having to do with his interactions with law enforcement, that you should always, uh, you know, you never you never stop in a dark area. You always drive to the next exit. You always go to a well-lit area. We'll we'll fight those those battles in court. Um, For me, uh, with these with these twins now, my job is to hopefully um, make sure they have a better America than the one that I inherited. It's the same dream my, my father had. The trouble that I have, and the reason that I wrote My Vanishing Country, I talk about it in one of the latter, last latter chapters is, you know, five years ago, almost five years ago, I was standing in front of a church, Mother Emmanuel. Clemente Pinkney was a friend of mine. He actually let Dylan Ruth into his church. They had a full hour of Bible study, and then Dylan Ruth killed nine people because of the color of their skin. I was standing in front of that church about a week later with my father, and tears were rolling down my face as I was explaining to the country that we were having many of the same shared experiences. He was 30, excuse me, I was 30 and he was 70. Mm -hmm. And so for my twins, what I have to do, what we have to do, what everybody watching has to do is continue to work to make sure that they inherit a better country than the one that I did. And right now that's tough. Those conversations are tough because as their eyes sparkle, you do know that Racism is real. Systems of injustice are real. Not getting the benefit of their humanity is real. And I just don't want them to be on the front of a t-shirt or us to have to wear another hoodie to march for them, or us to have to, you know, get Arizona iced tea and Skittles, or us to have to jog two miles for them. You know, I'm living for all of those people whose lives were cut short. So one day my children can be free. How how do you feel about the
0: discussion in and around sharing these videos online? Because there's there's clearly a rift. Some people think these videos should never be shared because all they do is further the, the, you know, the, the, the almost joy of lynching that white supremacists may engage in in seeing the videos, it, it furthers that narrative. Others would say, no, without the videos, then oftentimes there is no justice. And it, it feels like the, an argument where nobody's wrong, but, but a, an argument that people are having nonetheless. Do you have any thoughts?
1: Yeah, no, I think we have to show those videos. I mean, there, there are a couple of things. First, let's just deal with the Arbery case, because if we did not see that video, see, they saw the video. It took 73 days for the arrest, not because of the video, it's but, but because we saw the video. The, the American public saw the video. And so I think that that's necessary. Um, I remember the Walter Scott case, the young man in Charleston, South Carolina, who was shot in the back. But for that young man who was at the barbershop filming that incident, there would have been no arrest. And so we have to make sure we do that. But it, it, again, of that parallel with the civil rights movement, there's one glaring image that people remember. It's the picture of Emmett Till, who allegedly whistled at a white woman. And I challenge for those individuals who haven't, who haven't seen that picture to go Google it. His, his face is beaten, and he literally has no bones left in his body. And that picture, that image, before images could go viral, it stimulated a whole generation. And so I think those images are necessary, not necessarily for justice, but just so that we can have transparency and to be completely honest, to make white folk uncomfortable because we have to be uncomfortable to have this discussion. And unless white people literally see these injustices, sometimes there is a connection that they don't really happen and they do. Bakari,
0: thank you so much for your time. Uh, Congratulations on an amazing book and hopefully we'll have you back on the show again soon. Thank you so much, my dude, have a good one. Thank you. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition.